Ready? Born ready. I'm your host, Sabalong. Today, we are going to talk about polls. This is Atlanta, so let me be clear what kind of polls we're talking about. Political polls. That was a Saba joke. Give me your best fake laugh. <laughs> a few polls. <laughs> A few polls have been released, and there's a lot of talk on the streets about if these polls are legit or not. These are all things folks are looking to polling to help answer. Who gets polled? When are they polled? How are they polled? Who pays for the poll? These can all impact poll results. There are lots of types of polls. Text polls, push polls, live polls, track polls, exit polls. You might have heard of some of these terms in the news. So let's talk about why do campaigns poll? So Bill Clinton's pollster famously said, we use polling not to determine which positions Clinton should take, but to figure out which of the positions he's already taken are the most popular. Polls are just one of the many tools a campaign uses to better understand you, the voters. Now campaigns are about two things, messaging and numbers. Messaging, that's what the candidate's going to say to persuade you to vote for them over their opponent. That's what they say when they send you a text, when you see an Instagram ad, when they're surrogates, or you can call them influencers, what they say to you to convince you to vote for their candidate over someone else. That's all messaging. Numbers, a good campaign is paying attention to the data. How many people you need to vote for you, how many votes you need in each area of the city or state uh, or the country, demographic data, fundraising data, voter data, polling data. There are a lot of numbers in a campaign. So in political polling, that's a profession, right? Just like marketing is a profession. A good pollster is trained in data analysis and statistics. So maybe they went to college for political science or sociology or psychology, they have some type of training in numbers and math. Now you don't wake up one day and just say, oh, I'm going to become a pollster. Why? Because any good campaign is data driven and they're not going to trust a noob, someone who's never done it uh, to become their pollster. In fact, in Georgia, there's really only a handful of pollsters that are well-respected. So it's not uncommon for a campaign to bring in an outside pollster, someone who's not from the state of Georgia. So just in the mayor's race, for example, Felicia Moore and Kasim Reed, they both have national pollsters that they brought in for their campaigns. Now, these are pollsters who have worked on presidential campaigns. They're well-respected. They have a big following. How much does a poll cost? Well, that depends. It's like asking how much are a pair of jeans, right? So you could get a pair of jeans at Walmart, or you can get something at Balenciaga. There's going to be a very big difference in the price. And that's about 
you know, their questions in determining how much a poll costs, who are you polling? How many people are you polling? How are you actually polling them? How many questions are you asking? Are you using landlines or cell phones? Is this a one-time poll or are you tracking the same population over a period of time? There's levels to this. A basic poll for your district city council person or a school board candidate, that might cost you a few thousand. A citywide poll, that might be something more like 40,000. Uh, so if you want to poll more than once in an election, you can see that polling can get pretty expensive. That's why they're just one of the tools a campaign uses to better understand the lay of the land. Now, something that campaigns do to save costs is to piggyback off of somebody else's polling. So let's say you're running for a citywide seat and you know that a mayoral candidate that you are aligned with is doing a poll. Maybe you piggyback on them and ask them to ask a question that's relevant to your race. Then you don't have to pay for the, the poll outright. Or there could be an organization that's supporting you and they want to understand what's going on in the election. Again, they can do that poll and you don't have to pay for it. All right, now let's talk about types of polls. I'm not going to go over every single one, but I'm going to give you just enough so you can talk to your friends and seem like you're in the know. All right, a benchmark poll. Now, this is something that a campaign does early in the election. You do this to understand where you are today and where you need to get to by election day. Now, this is usually expensive because you're trying to collect a lot of different information. Things like, have you heard about this candidate? That tells you name recognition. Do you like this candidate? Do people have a favorable opinion of you or an unfavorable opinion of you? Or do they not know? What issues are important to you in this election? That helps the candidate understand what they should focus on. Is it crime? Is it affordable housing? Is it something else? Demographic information. Are you a renter or an owner? How much do you make? What's your education level? These are all things that the candidates want to understand so those are some of the questions that you can expect in a benchmark poll. A tracking poll, let's talk about that. Sometimes it's called a brush fire poll. And we're in the stage of the campaign right now where you'll they're probably doing tracking polls. So this helps them get real-time reactions to things that are happening on the campaign trail. Let me give you an example. So let's say a candidate is getting attacked on an issue and the campaign's trying to figure out the right messaging to counter that attack. That's the poll that they'll use to determine that messaging. Uh, another is a push poll. Again, this is something that you might see later on in the election as you get closer to election day. So that might sound like this. Hi, Ms. Johnson. Are you aware Kanye West voted to close down all the rec centers in our city, leaving our children with no safe space to go after school? Well, geez, Kanye West sounds terrible as a candidate, right? Or if you want to elevate a candidate, you could say something like this. Hi, Ms. Johnson. Are you aware Taylor Swift donated a half of her city council salary to help single mothers buy school supplies for their children? Well, geez, Taylor sounds like such a fantastic candidate. I didn't know that. Let me support her instead, a Kanye. That's the idea of, of a push-pull. Now, the big question is, can polls be trusted? 
So there's a saying, numbers lie, people don't. That doesn't always work in political polling, though. Sometimes the folks polling just don't tell the pollster their real opinion. They get, they catfish the pollster. So let me give you some national examples, and then we'll go into understanding the local polling that we're seeing in the mayor's race today. So if you've ever worked on a campaign, you've probably heard of something called the Bradley effect. Tom Bradley was a mayor of Los Angeles. He was the city's first black mayor. In 1982, he ran for governor of California. He was leading in every poll, and they expected on election day that he would win by 10 points. What happened? He lost by five points. So there was an assumption. The Bradley effect is there's an assumption that voters did not want to admit that they weren't going to vote for the black guy to be the governor. It's called the Bradley effect. Now, there was some concern in 2008 that this was going to happen with Obama, right? People were saying, are the, are the polls real? Will Obama actually win this? And then we thought, okay, there is no Bradley. The Bradley effect is gone. And in fact, we're in a post-race society now. Well, we know how that turned out. <laughs> if you pay attention to Europe, something similar happened with Brexit. So Brexit was if Europe... If uh, Brexit was if Britain was going to vote to stay in the European Union. Again, in that campaign, folks were surprised that the Leave campaign won because the polls were showing that voters wanted to stay. But in reality, they voted the opposite way. And then let's look at 2016 with Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump. How voters were polled changed the results of the poll. And here's an example. So Morning Consult, they found that voters with a college degree supported Clinton by a 21-point margin in phone interviews. So that's polling done by phone, but only a 7% margin in polling done online. You see that distinction. And then another one, with voters making more than $50,000 a year, Clinton was leading by 10 points. But when you did that online, she was actually losing by one point. So the, how you conduct the poll does make a difference. And then the last example I'm going to give you was something that just happened this year. You probably heard about the campaign to recall Gavin Newsom in California, right? It was expected to be a tight election. He only had a slight lead. But as it got closer and closer to election day, Democrats started to pay more and more attention. And so they went from being undecided or not being sure if they were going to vote to actually going out to vote. And so Gavin ended up winning by 25 points. So the polls undercounted Democratic voters. So now that you've got that gist, let's talk about local polling in the mayor's race here in Atlanta. Typically, you'll always see a TV station, and the AJC do a poll. So those are the two external polls you can always count on. One will be a local TV station. For this cycle, it's Channel 11, 11 Alive News, and then the AJC. You'll also sometimes see an outside organization do a poll. It could be a chamber of commerce. It could, could be a political action committee, a group of unions. It just depends. And then obviously the candidates poll. 
Sometimes they'll release that poll. That's called internal polling. If it's favorable, if it's bad, they'll keep it to themselves. Uh, or if the poll shows them in a position where they are about to overtake the person that's in number one or the person that's in number two, they may not release it because they don't want to give their opponent the advantage to have time to launch that attack, right? So right now there are 14 candidates running for mayor. We've already given you a breakdown of that race. Five are considered serious. And of that five, it shrinks even more once you start talking about polling and fundraising. So let's do a breakdown of the 11 Alive Survey USA poll. Now they polled this race two times, one in July and one in late September, early October. And they released this poll about a week before early voting began. Here are the results. Now in this phase, I'm gonna start giving you a lot of numbers, but we'll make this a little bit easier for you to digest. So in the 11 Alive poll, Kasim was at 18%, Felicia was at 8%, Sharon Gay at 5 Antonio 5 Andre 5 and 31% were undecided. Here's what's interesting about this poll. They surveyed 650 adults. Of those, 562 said they were registered to vote and that they were likely to participate in this election. So off the top, what does this say? They included people who weren't already registered to vote. And why that's problematic is because A, the likelihood of them voting was slim to none because they weren't already registered. And then the poll concluded on October 5th, which was the day after the voter registration deadline. Another thing, they asked the folks who they were planning to vote in the mayor's race. Now here was, this was a good thing. They put the candidates names in alphabetical order. So I'm going to give them a, you know, some props for that. But if you look at the cross tabs, here's where you get the real info, right? And here's where this poll lost me on voter composition. The first question, are you registered to vote in the state of Georgia? It split women 52-48. That makes sense. But then it splits the ages like this. 18 to 24, 43%. 35 to 49, 24%, 50 to 64, 19%, and then 65 and up, only 14%. So that means that uh, the folks they polled, 67% of them were under the age of 50. That's just not realistic when you look at who turns out to vote. Now, I wish 18 to 24 and 35 to 49 did go out to vote in record numbers because they could absolutely shift the election. But the reality is that trend does not hold. They, they're not doing that. So the first question about who you would vote for, the composition of likely voters was 51% male and 49% female. But we know there are more women than men on this planet, certainly more women than men in Atlanta, and more women than men vote. Dang. So again, it undercounts, uh, it overcounts male voters. And then another weird thing this thing did is that it undercounted voters 50, it overcounted, oh, let me redo that. So this poll 
undercounted older voters. And then it was a bit off on the split between male and female. And then it also undercounted white voters. So now let's talk about the AJC poll. This is the one that everyone's talking about because it was just released. Now the UGA conducted this poll in October uh, and they concluded it, I believe on October 20th. So again, this is just hot off the press. Here's the breakdown of the top five candidates. Felicia Moore, 23.8%. Kasim Reed, 20.4%. Then there's a big drop. Andre Dickens, 6.2. Sharon Gay, 4.3. Antonio, 2.4. Here's where it gets interesting. Undecided voters, 41.4. Huge number. So this poll concluded that seven, it included, this poll included 779 likely mayoral election voters. So these were folks who were already registered, who had voted in the last three elections, and the likelihood of them voting for mayor was high, right? So you can already see the difference between this one and the 11 Alive poll, but this poll is problematic too. So let's go over their demographic top lines. Again, some more numbers, but just bear with me. Male to female, 45.3% male, 54.7% female. A little high on the women. Another peculiar thing, now Atlanta's demographics have changed a lot, but this poll has 51.1% white and only 41.7% black. 7.1% other. I think the others, the other makes sense generally because Atlanta is not just a black and white city, as you'll hear me say all the time on this podcast, but they definitely undercounted black voters. And if you go to lunch at Pond City Market, maybe these numbers make sense. But if you look at who's actually polling, who's actually voting in Atlanta, the numbers don't make sense. Another odd thing this did, it is... This poll had 51.5% of the people they polled had an undergraduate degree. Again, our city's becoming more educated, but that number seems really high. And another one, income. Of those polled, 31.5% made over $150,000. Is Atlanta a wealthier city than it was four years ago? Yes, but the average salary is certainly nowhere near $55,000. So this poll just feels off. So at the end of the day, polls are a snapshot of what you see on the ground, but they're not telling you the full story. How is the game won in campaigns? The work you don't see. The number of doors the campaigns are knocking on. The number of phone bank calls that they make. The conversations with neighbors that influence you to vote for one person over another. The conversations the candidate has with voters. So that's an overview of polling. There's so much more we can say about this, but I don't want to get into a three-hour conversation about polls. Uh, But that gives you a good overview of what to expect. I'm Saba Long. Thank you for listening to Where the Party At podcast. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, Apple, Spotify, Google, all of that. Check us out on Instagram 
and on Twitter. Yep. Just search for Where the Party At Podcast. We've got conversations with the candidates running for mayor, for city council. This is the spot for you to go to to understand what's happening on the ground, on the campaign cycle, in this election. And we'll have more information for you about what's happening on the national scene because you should know what's happening in politics because it impacts your life. Thanks for tuning in. Adios.